Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm Shelly Pash, Manager of Rural Entrepreneurship for Network Kansas. I've worked in economic development, entrepreneurship, community development, and outreach, and have been in the field of ecosystem building for about 14 years. But that doesn't hold a candle to my guest, Mr. Don Mackey, who I am once again privileged to introduce with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, hosted by Network Kansas. Hey, Don- good afternoon. <laughs> Yay. Well, yeah, you've got a little bit more on me with 40 years of entrepreneur-led economic development than my mere 14. So happy new year to you. Yes, same to you. I hope 2021 is for everyone a more promising year. Much, much more promising. I couldn't agree more. So I know we are talking about economic crashes and some mini case studies that you have on your mind. I guess we can just jump right in. Sounds good. I'm jumping in 2021 with a two-part question. All right. (laughs) First, with the world we're living in, can you explain further on what you mean by economic crashes? And second, and you'll see I've been doing my homework, I've been reading your pandemic Recession Future Trends paper, where you say a transformative and fundamental reset when a profound change can and will occur. Why are these economic crashes important to rural community prosperity? So it really goes back to the fact that most rural economies are pretty undiversified. In our part of the country, the underlying economic rationale is production agriculture, which has been automating, requiring fewer people because we're using more technology. If you go to the Pacific Northwest, the timber industry, which has fundamentally changed as to where our timber supplies come from, so entire mill towns have closed. Or we could go to the Carolinas, where in the matter of about 15 years, we lost a quarter of a million jobs in the textile and apparel industry as it offshored to China and Southeast Asia and Mexico. There is this history of economic crashes that have occurred not only in rural America, but in urban America that really have put tremendous pressure and distress on rural communities in the regions that they're in. So the question begs is, I doubt, at least according to the futurists and the folks in the know, that agriculture is not going to continue to automate Already, the portion of rural people engaged in production agriculture is growing smaller and smaller and relatively small. How do we begin to diversify the economy so that our rural communities have a rationale for existing? And that's where entrepreneurship comes in, Shelley. We believe that entrepreneur-led development is the best way to create a more diversified economy, both within, say, agriculture in our part of the world or value-added timber products in the Northeast but also to diversify beyond that kind of core underlying natural resource industry. Diversity is just hugely important in these dynamic 
changing times that we're a part of. Certainly things that I've also read in your paper <laughs> on culture and diversity being that very formative and just everything that we start to see with expanding remote work and welcoming that culture and diversity and the rising necessity of entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the things that we're really finding, and this is true in our case study of Ward, Nebraska, that is it has used entrepreneurship to really build a much more dynamic, diverse economy. It's pretty much absorbed all the available workforce in its region. If it's going to continue to develop, it's now going to have to attract people from outside of the community. And what that means is it's going to have to become very, very comfortable with a much wider range of diversity than maybe it's been used to. Instead of that farm kid coming in and working in that new industry that they've developed, it's going to be somebody from someplace else that may look different, may have different backgrounds, may have a different faith community. That requires our communities to be prepared for success, which means embracing diversity. I agree. I absolutely agree. When you were mentioning the Carolinas and Ord, can you share with us some regional economic crashes you've come across? Probably the area of the country that most recently we've worked in besides the heartland is in the industrial Midwest and the state of Indiana, where we've been working with an initiative funded by the Lilly Endowment, working with community foundations that are in turn working with their communities on finding pathways to greater community prosperity. In this particular case, these communities have probably gone through, if they're in the farm build in Indiana, that automation threat, but they've also experienced significant changes as they've moved from low-skill manufacturing to higher-skill manufacturing, or they've lost manufacturing base. One of the things that's really challenging is there's consequences when you have one of these economic crashes, that there's also a social crash that occurs. Now, in our part of the country, in the central Great Plains, if there's not work, typically educated, motivated, capable young people pick up and simply move someplace else to find opportunity. But in other parts of the country, it's more sticky. And so if we look at parts of Ohio and Indiana, we've got significant populations that are not engaged in the labor force. They're probably engaging in high-risk behavior like substance abuse. That's where the opioid crisis is at its greatest. Oftentimes that goes along with increased criminal activity, incarceration. It wasn't unusual in some of these rural counties that had lost major manufacturing employment where upwards to a third of the adult working age population was no longer in the workforce because of incarceration, substance abuse, or early death. Which is very, very unfortunate, losing that and then the increase of the latter that you had mentioned. And the social costs that just go along with that. Yeah. I actually was on a Courageous Conversation call yesterday, and it blows your mind on just some of the racial equities and things that are now being discussed that should have been discussed for many, many, many years. But I'm glad that I can be a part of some of those conversations now. Well, and it goes back to some of the work that you all at Network Kansas have been involved with, with the Kansas Health Foundation, where when we first had discussions with the folks at the Health Foundation, this case that if you can't create a more viable economy that offers greater individual opportunities, 
it's pretty hard to achieve health and well-being outcomes, that people need access to living wage work, career opportunities. So this connection between economy and the well-being of the residents in our communities is just really powerful and is motivating groups like the Lilly Endowment, the Kansas Health Foundation, the Nebraska Community Foundation, just to name a few, to really move into this economic development space. And again, we keep coming back to entrepreneurship is just foundational in almost every community. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It really is. It is. Yeah. I know you mentioned local and regional economies that are banding together to find those solutions. And I know when we're working the ground game or boots on the ground, however anybody wants to say it, with communities, there are times that I can think back to when regional isn't even considered. They're not even talking city to city. So do you think that quote unquote way of thinking needs to go away? And how does an economic crash stress local and regional economies and communities? Well, I think it's hugely important. And part of this is the shift from what we might call traditional development that was really focused on that highly competitive environment of business attraction. In a region, if attraction is the primary strategy, every community is kind of competing with every other community for the location of that business. With entrepreneurship, that's not the case. So first of all, there's much greater opportunity for regional collaboration with entrepreneurship. And as we think about it, the local community still has the job of finding the local entrepreneurial talent, figuring out what it needs, and networking it to resources. But when we think about ecosystem building, that very complex web of resources from capital to technical assistance to market research, that really lends itself to be developed at a regional or even a statewide level like you've done in Kansas. The opportunities for regional collaboration are huge. And in very rural areas, if we think about parts of the Rocky Mountain West, we've been having discussions with our friends in Oregon with the Ford Family Foundation. If you look at eastern Oregon, very rural, very sparsely populated. Individual communities may not be able to support some of the staffing on their own, but they can band together and share staffing that could begin to do that circuit rider work with entrepreneurs. So there's just a whole set of collaborative opportunities that entrepreneurship offers because we're not in this competitive space with each other. But with that said, we're so used to competing, it's hard to shift our gears to say, okay, with this, we can collaborate. And if we do, we can build much stronger strategies and much stronger ecosystems to support entrepreneurial development. I love that. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Do you think, or do you believe, I guess, to rethink our systems and make them more resilient to future shocks is one way that rural America can avoid or soften future economic crashes? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'll take you back not to talk too much about Ord, but it's We know the Ord story. (laughs) We've been watching how Ord performed during the agricultural recession, and it continued to perform much, much better because it had a diversified economy. It had not only value-added activities that were well run by entrepreneurs, but it also had non-ag-related businesses. That's cushioned the blow compared to communities that once the farmers quit buying machinery and other discretionary inputs, 
the economy really contracted quickly and hard. The two elements of diversity, economic diversity and human diversity, just continue to come back again and again as not only imperatives, but the way that we can create greater resiliency in our communities. And I think in these dynamic times, having that kind of resiliency at a business level, at a community level, just becomes hugely important. Otherwise, we're looking at the fallout, the carnage, when economies fail, people lose their jobs, there's not customers to support local businesses. You can begin to see how that manifests itself into the human costs of people who lose their livelihood. Maybe it breaks up their family. It leads to this at-risk behavior. The prices are pretty high for an undiversified economy that cannot exert a certain level of resiliency given the uncertainties and the change that's coming our way. I see the rise in entrepreneurship. I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day on entrepreneurship and saying that, gosh, I remember even 10 years ago and talking with some of the millennials and things like that, that it's like, you're looking for jobs that aren't even created yet. So it's kind of cool to still be a part of that conversation, seeing that there's always going to be a rise in that. I love hearing that that can happen, but on the same hand, it would have to be highly stressful, especially in the pandemic time that we're talking about. Yeah. I think it also speaks to the fact of some of the other discussions we're having with you all with Network Kansas, with your entrepreneurial communities initiative, is those likely entrepreneurial development opportunities, beginning to think about this huge tsunami of retiring boomers. How do you build economy around that? What is the role of entrepreneurial ventures in doing that? From healthcare systems to individual for-profit businesses that maybe provide concierge services, that if you're part of a major highway system or have a big interstate interchange, how do you build that out? Because that diversifies the economy. Part of what we're looking at is not just that these economic crashes are really important for people to understand and why it's so devastated not only individual rural communities, but entire regions as it's kind of hollowed out economic rationale to also say there's a positive side. There are opportunities available to you if you're willing to focus on those. You can, in fact, build a better economy, a more diverse economy that is going to give you greater resiliency over time. So that was the reason we did the paper on economic crashes, not to dwell on the negative, but to say this is the case statement for pursuing entrepreneurship and pursuing some of these non-traditional entrepreneurial opportunities that maybe aren't first of mind, but the data would suggest that they represent huge opportunities. And I think when you put those together, even a small community might have two or three or four opportunity sets. That's a lot more diversified than if they simply were relying on the spending of local farmers or the continued operation of a single lumber mill in a mill town in the four corners of Colorado and Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. We want to create that case statement for communities to really take this seriously and look at those opportunities because they're there. Maybe not all of them are there, but enough of them are there that you can begin to really uh, focus on those as a way to move forward. Yeah. And I think Actually, I've been working on a presentation and I threw in the Albert Einstein 
famously said, in the midst of every crisis lies great opportunity. So if you're not aware of it, you are now. And I'm hoping for a no on this next question that I'm going to ask you. Is it likely that there will be future economic crashes in store for rural America? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I think part of it is, I mean, if you go back over the sweep of time, there's been these huge transformations from, you know, hunter-gatherer to agricultural-dominated societies, the first industrial revolution, the second industrial revolution, the introduction of information technology, now biotechnology. I mean, you've got these underlying transformations. And just think about how the internet has changed commerce. These forces are still at work, and it creates this dynamic environment where there are winners and losers. And I think that's the other reason why you want a cadre of entrepreneurs in your community, because one of the hallmarks of a successful entrepreneur is their ability to perceive opportunity and say, the trend lines are going this way. And if I capitalize on that, if I figure out how to find unique niche solutions to that, I can create a viable venture that'll create a living for my family, employees, support the local tax base, all those kinds of things we want from economic development. To me, it's a given that there will be these events. Who would have predicted, although some had, and we weren't listening, that we would have a worldwide pandemic that would essentially shut the world down for a year and a half, doing huge damage to retail and the hospitality industries, let alone the tragic loss of life. I think the important thing is to simply accept that these things can happen. More recently, in my home state of Nebraska, we are so proud of Cabela's Sporting Goods. I grew up in a small town. My parents knew the parents of the founders of Cabela's, and so I've always followed this story closely. And for the better part of 30, 40 years, Cabela's was just a huge economic driver in that part of Nebraska, parts of Northeast Colorado, all the way over into Wyoming. But at some point, it got acquired by Bass Pro Shop. And now the employment associated with Sydney as that corporate headquarters is being dismantled has dropped dramatically. We could have predicted that that could happen at some point as that ownership, particularly when Cabela's went from private ownership to public ownership. And now you had public ownership that said it really doesn't make sense to have 2,000 corporate employees in a community of 6,000, not close to a commercial airport. Our community leaders really have to pay attention to the fact that if you've got something good going like that, take it as far as you can, but you can't rest on your laurels. You have to continue to diversify your economy, knowing that at some point that business may fail or it may move, it might get acquired and be relocated. These are the dynamics that are always going to be with us, and and that's why we have to continue to invest in entrepreneurship as a way to build and renew our economies and societies in rural America. Yep, and it'll certainly keep the waves of economic development going along. The first one starting back in the 30s, so it is interesting to see. It all goes, but entrepreneurship, like you said before, not all entrepreneurs look the same. Exactly. And we probably have more entrepreneurs in each of our collective communities than you even know about. They might not even think of themselves as entrepreneurs. Always, again, Don, we're going to wrap up and always a pleasure to have you on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. 
share with us where our listeners can learn more about E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. Well, absolutely. First of all, we've got a paper uh, that goes along with this topic, plus some allied papers that you mentioned. Those will be made available with this podcast. We also encourage our listeners to go to our website, www.energizingentrepreneurs.org. That's where they can find free resources. They can join our national network to access uh, additional resources, our free monthly electronic newsletter, and of course, how they can access through their favorite platform, the podcast. There are some specific resources, like I say, that we're going to be making available. And you mentioned the megatrends. That'll be part of the package and planning for a post-pandemic world. That information will be part of this podcast, Shelley. Awesome. Thank you so much and appreciate seeing and hearing all of your vital information. It's my pleasure and we'll look forward to our next session. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Mm -hmm.